0: morning, church family, and happy almost 4th of July. Um, I am so blessed that I get to live in the greatest country in the world, aren't you? Um, and it is so far from perfect, it's comical, but I do believe um, the freedoms that we experience in the United States of America are amazing. The freedom, as Tony said, to preach the gospel and to not have to worry to stand up here, because that's not the same for our brothers and sisters around the world who are doing that right now. Um, who don't get to feel as safe as I feel right now Um, and just the freedom of speech and all the freedoms and liberties that we experience, um, we are blessed. Um, So I want to say thank you to all the men and women who have served, all the men and women who have died, who have given their lives over the 250-ish years that our nation has existed to secure those freedoms and so that we can enjoy them today. Um, and I also want to take a moment, and if, if you're willing, um, if you served uh, in our military, if you want to stand so that we can honor you this morning, if there's anyone around there today, they're all celebrating on vacation. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for uh, serving and for sacrificing um, for us. Uh, and ultimately, we give God the glory for all of it, um, as we learned in the beginning Um, of this year through our series in Daniel, that God's in control of everything. In Daniel chapter 2, it says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Our God is in control of everything, big and small. He's in control of nations, including ours He's in control of empires and kings and presidents and whatever it is. Our God holds it all in the palm of his hand. And he is good. And that's why we celebrate that he is our king. Um, As John said, there's no accident, he said, King Jesus. Last week, as we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 8, Pastor Dustin asked us that question, who's your king? Because Israel demanded a king. They said, Uh, Yeah, we know that God got us out of Egypt. We know that God saved us from slavery for 400 years. We know that he rescued us and provided for us and rained down manna and quail from the sky for 40 years in a row. We know that he promised us the promised land and then he came through. We know that everything he did for us, including defeating all of our enemies, happened. But we want somebody we can see. We want a king, a tangible person, somebody, we want to be like the other countries. It's so crazy when you read the Old Testament that when the Israelites are coming towards places that the other nations are like, oh man, we've heard what their God does. And then all of a sudden Israel is like, but we want to be like them. We want somebody we can see, somebody that we know will go and fight our battles, someone that we know. And so today we're going to see who is anointed the first king of Israel. But I want to remind us today, what I've been reminded of um, studying these last couple weeks is this, is that Jesus must be the King and Lord of our life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That might seem like a weird verse to read after saying Jesus is King, but uh, I firmly believe Um, Jesus is like no other king that's ever been because no other king or no other emperor or no other God ever left their kingdom and their throne to come down and die for his enemies and lay down his life for them. That's the savior that we serve. That is the great love and the richness of the mercy of God. And today I want us to look at that and celebrate that. But today we see Saul is anointed king over Israel. God gives the Israelites what they ask for. And we'll see in the later chapters in this book that um, it doesn't work out as anyone planned, but God was in control and God knew exactly what would happen. So we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. So I want to ask you to stand as we read uh, God's word this morning. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And, uh, and they will say to you, the donkeys that you seek, or went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, one carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there... As soon as you come to the city you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute and lyre before them prophesying then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man Now these things now when these signs meet you do what your hand finds to do for God is with you Then go down before me to Gilgal and behold I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you that it is true. And Lord, my prayer today for us, taken from Paul in Colossians, that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual understanding and wisdom So as to walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, Lord, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you, Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, today reveal to us your will. um, Empower us by your gospel, your word, to teach us um, and to equip us for what you're calling us to do, Lord. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So as we see here, and as I want to look at the story of Saul, we're going to look at chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Um, We're not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a little synopsis of how Saul starts out. But we all have roles and responsibilities that God has given each of us. And we will all have roles and responsibilities in in five years and ten years and down the line that look different than the ones that we have today. Like for me, my roles and responsibilities, like I am a child of God, Um, I am Responsible to carry out the Great Commission, to preach the good news, and that's the same for all of us who call God Father. I am a husband to Chrissy. I am a father to CJ, and I'm about to be a father to a little baby girl. I am a pastor at this church. I am a member of Orlando Baptist Church. I am a son. I am a friend. I'm a neighbor. I'm a coworker. I'm a boss. I'm an employee. All these things, we can go down the list, those are the roles and responsibilities that God has given me, and those are different than some of you. Um, We have a ton of missionaries in here today. We have Miss Teresa Weaver and Tony Coleco and Lauren Apel is here today. We have people who their role and responsibility has literally been to be called away from the United States to go to another country to preach the gospel to other people, and what an amazing call on your life. But what a a scary role and a scary responsibility. And what I want us to learn today from Saul, as he is being tasked and anointed to be the first ever king over Israel, we can learn three things from him. And the first one is this, that God is not limited by your weakness. And you can put me in, God is not limited by my weakness. Praise the Lord. In chapter 9, I'm going to give us a little... a a starting point for Saul and just kind of tell the story. But Saul is introduced to us in in chapter nine. And he is the son of a wealthy man named Kish. He owns a lot of donkeys. Um, And what happens is some of his donkeys get lost. And Saul is tasked with going to find these donkeys. And the only thing we're told about Saul is that he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was everyone in Israel came up to his shoulder. He was taller than everybody. He was good looking. He was from a wealthy family. And as we'll learn, that's what Israel wanted. We wanted the poster child for our success, the guy who will fight our battles. We want the guy who looks the part, who looks kingly. And as we'll notice in this chapter and all the chapters to come, it's never mentioned once about Saul's character or never mentioned about his godliness. And they don't seem to care But Saul is tasked with going to find his dad's donkeys, so his dad says, hey, take a servant, Uh, you guys go, and I need you to find these donkeys. So they go, and they go from town to town to town, and they cannot find them. And Saul finally gets to the point where he's like, "I, I don't care anymore, I'm more worried that my dad is anxious for me to come home than the donkeys, so I think we should turn around. And his servant was like, well, in the next town over, there's this guy Samuel, and I hear that he can tell you whatever you want, he knows what's going on, he's called the seer, or the man of God. And Saul's like, well, we don't have anything. We ate all the food. We don't have any money. We can't give him a gift for him to tell us where the donkeys are. And the, and the servant, who is already showing better leadership and figuring out what they can do, says, well, I have a quarter of a shekel. We can give it to him. So let's, let's go try. Let's go talk to Samuel and see what he says. So they go to the next town. They ask this lady, hey, where's the seer? And she's like, well, he's right ahead of you. If you just go, he's on his way up to the high place for a feast. So try to go find him. So they're on our way. Unbeknownst to Saul, the day before, Samuel said, or God told Samuel, hey, the first king of Israel, he's going to come to you tomorrow, and you're going to anoint him to be king, and I'm going to let you know who he is. So Saul and Samuel come together, and they meet one another, and Saul says, hey, do you know where the seer is? He doesn't know who Samuel is. And he said, uh, yeah, that's me. Um, but today you're going to eat with me, so I need you to go up to the high place. And about those donkeys that you lost a few days ago, stop worrying about them, they've been found. Saul never mentions the donkeys to Samuel. He just kind of flexed that he knows exactly what God reveals to him and knows these things. And then as they lock eyes, God tells Samuel, that's the guy. That's the one I have anointed to be king over my people, to be the prince of my people and to rule over them. And so they go up to eat. Saul does what Samuel says. He goes up there. And a cool thing that happens is um, just, just to icing on the cake of Samuel knowing God's plans and all this, Samuel had set aside the leg portion, which was normally the priest's portion of the feast, and set it aside for the man that would be anointed king. And so they get there and Samuel says, hey, remember that cut of meat I gave you? Bring it out, it's for him. And Saul sees that and knows that he has been uh, given this special seat, the special portion of meat to eat with Samuel. And he's still kind of just like going with the flow here and figuring out what in the world is happening and samuel also says to him in a roundabout way in you are all the things that all the israelites are looking for in a king like in you it's all i can see it all and everything that they want is in you and saul says who me and starts with that so they eat they do everything together he takes, uh, he sleeps up on the roof and then Saul, or Samuel says, then tomorrow I'll make known to you the word of God. And that picks up the, the passage that we read in the beginning here. But we see a lot of Saul's weakness showing up even in the beginning of this and then we'll see it even more. When we jump forward to 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel will eventually say to him, though you are little in your own eyes. So we see that Saul had a, a low self-esteem Um, But I really think as we read the scriptures that he just had a little view of God um, and a little view of what God asked him to do. And again, his character and his godliness are never spoken of. We can see even in him going to find the donkeys that he wasn't the best leader. His servant came up with all the good ideas, and later Saul will take credit for those things, of going and talking to Samuel. He tried to give up. Um, and even now, as we go forward, and we're going to jump back into 10, 14 through 16, we see that Saul withholds information and lies to his uncle. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where'd you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. I can't figure this out. Like, if somebody came up to me and anointed me and said, Corey, you're gonna be the president of the United States, I'd be like, huh? Like, I would have that same reaction that Saul had, like, you're talk- what are you talking about? I don't wanna do that, I'm not. But like, I can't imagine like my uncle walking up to me and say, hey, uh, I heard you talk to Samuel, the man of God, in the world, the one that we know can tell you things like where your donkeys are and all this stuff, Uh, and he tells you you're gonna be king, and then he anoints you in private, and then he gives you a list of signs like just so you know, all these things are gonna come to pass so that you know God has asked you to do this. I can't imagine not saying a word. Like I can't imagine my uncle being like, "Uh, he didn't, uh, nah, nothing else, nothing else here. So we see even here that Saul was not trusting God and believing him that he was going to do what God asked him to do. He had low self-esteem, and here he clearly just withholds that and lies to his uncle, but it gets much, much more embarrassing for him. 17 through 22, it says, And Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired of the Lord again, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So here we see the man who's been anointed king, who's the tallest, best-looking guy in Israel, is hiding in people's bags. It is, uh, like I feel it and I know it, but it's also embarrassing, like this is, a scary task that he's been given, um, but he hid. But what's crazy here, again, is that God is not limited by our weakness or by our fear if he has asked us or called us to do something. Psalm one hundred three thirteen says this, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. That verse was in my reading plan this week and it just made me cry, Like, again, I cry a lot now that I'm a dad. I wish it would stop. But God is a good father in the fact that he's not surprised that I'm weak. He's not surprised that I get scared. He's not surprised that I sin. He's not surprised at any of it. Because he made me, and he knows my frame. He was there when he created man out of dust. And to dust we will return. He knows what he's dealing with like he's not surprised and that should make us happy that should make us relieved that God knows and God loves working with weakness as we see throughout all the scriptures there's it's very rare that God uses the most equipped person to do something Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12:9 after he begged God to take away this thorn in the flesh that was tormenting him over and over and over But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God is not limited by our weaknesses. In Scripture, we see that when God appears to Moses in the burning bush and calls him to lead the children of Israel out of Pharaoh's control and into the promised land, Moses is like, I can't talk in front of anybody. I have a speech impediment. And God says, I will be with you. And then we look, just a a book before in the book of Judges, God calls Gideon, who is not a warrior, to lead the children of Israel in battle against the Midianites. And God says, but I will be with you. And then even we skip all the way to the day where Jesus ascends into heaven, where he is leaving behind his 11 apostles and friends and all the disciples who do not feel equipped who are terrified, who God just says, just wait, just wait. They do not know what's next. They do not feel ready and equipped for the job. But he says, behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And that should be good news to us because God will equip you to do his will. That is the second thing that we can learn from Saul. God is not limited by our weakness, and if God calls us to do something, God will equip you to do his will. As we look at those verses that we read in the beginning, um, I listed off all the signs that God gave Saul. When he says that you're going to be king, uh, I just think it's funny. There's so many things that God was like, this will be a sign to you, and it's not just one sign. I counted eight, so here they are. Sign number one is Samuel tells Saul where the donkeys are without even being asked Sign number two was that Samuel had already given the portion of food set aside for Saul before it happened. Sign number three, Saul was anointed by Samuel in private. Sign number four, two men will meet you and tell you where the donkeys are. Sign number five, three men of God will give you two loaves of bread. And also, the guy who had to carry three goats really lost. Like, one guy's just carrying bread and he's carrying three goats. I don't think that's fair. Sign number six, you'll meet a group of prophets. Sign number seven, the spirit of God will rush upon you and you will prophesy. Sign number eight, you'll be turned into a new man with a new heart. But most importantly is a promise that comes in verse seven. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hands find to do for God is with you. That is the most important thing and the most equipping thing that we can be told if God has given us roles and responsibilities The only thing that matters is God is with you. He is all-powerful. He holds it all together. He is in control of kingdoms and nations and outcomes. And as we just saw with Saul, he's in control of dice. He was chosen by lot. He was already anointed to be king of Israel in private. God had already shown him all these signs. But for the children of Israel to know that he'd been chosen, they literally start rolling dice. They start with, okay, which of the 12 tribes? Roll it, Benjamin. Okay, which... Which tribe inside of that tribe is next? And they roll it, oh, the Matrites. Oh, and then they roll it and roll it and roll it until they get to Saul's family and then until they get to Saul. Like, God is in control of big stuff, like kings and kingdoms. God is in control of dice. And it makes me think of Star Wars in episode one where they're rolling dice and Qui-Gon is trying to get Anakin Skywalker and he rolls a dice and does the little thing with his finger and rolls it perfectly. I'm a nerd, but that's what I think about when I read the Bible. God's in control of the big and the small. But what we'll see here is that God equips Saul even in his weakness, even when he doesn't even believe that he's the guy for the job. So we'll turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, and here we see this man named Nahash, the Ammonite. So what he's doing is he is tormenting all the people of Israel on the east side of the Jordan River, everyone over there. in his M.O., as if, hey, um, I'm going to destroy you, but if you bow down to me, I won't kill you, but I'm going to gouge out all your right eyes, which just is an evil, I can't even comprehend. But he said, so that, there will be, uh, so that there will be disgrace on all of Israel. So he's doing these things, and a cool part of scripture, it is living and active and alive is this, is that Nahash means Serpent. So I don't think it's any accident that the first anointed king of Israel, which is a picture of the savior of the nation, is fighting the serpent for his first battle. And if we go back to Genesis, that's how it starts. It says that your offspring will crush the serpent's head, the serpent will bruise his heel, and it's a picture of Jesus. If you didn't know, this entire thing is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus, and we're a part of the story. And it's living in an active. So Saul goes to battle against the serpent, And we pick it up in verse 5. It says this, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told them the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. What a turn of events in Saul's ability to lead. We see here that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit and he is all of a sudden turned into a powerful and decisive leader, who gathers all the people of Israel without them even hesitating, all because of the power of God. And we'll see here that he is obedient to God and doing exactly what his hands find to do because God is with him and God makes him victorious ultimately. In verses 11 and 12 it says, or verse 11 it says, and the next day Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Saul is ultimately victorious because of the empowering of God, because God is with him. And that's the most important thing that we need to know, is that God is with us. If we are in Christ, if God has asked us to do something according to his will, any of the roles, you might think that the role of parenting or the the role of being a spouse is small. No, but that is a God-ordained role and responsibility that he has given you. And he will equip you to do it if God is with you. Because with God-given responsibility comes God-given empowerment. And a lot of times in my roles, as I said, um, I I feel what Saul felt. There's times where I really want to hide. There's times where I do not feel like the guy. There's times where I do not feel certain of God's will. I think about our kids who are um, just came back from camp. And some of them, I'm sure, felt the tug of surrendering to to ministry or being missionaries or being pastors or whatever it might be. And they're struggling with, is that the will of God or what what is that in my life? And I remember feeling that. And I remember in my whole life, seasons where I was uncertain of the will of God. And God wants us to seek that and to ask him. And a lot of times, I'm jealous of Saul that God gave him eight signs in a row to let him know, just so you know, I'm gonna give you this stamp of approval, this stamp of approval, this stamp, when I'm just like, can I just have anything? Like, there's certain things where I'm scared. Like, I'm a pastor at this church, which I, is the, I didn't think that would ever happen. Like, ministry, it's all a God thing. But even now, Chrissy and I, as our church wants to plant churches, like, we're open-handed with, like, if we're next, like, yeah, like, God will do that. But that terrifies me because as I even think, we planted Arthur in January, and Arthur is one of my best friends and most encouraging people I know in ministry, and we are the exact opposite. Like, Arthur's strengths are like planting a church, like rallying people to set up on Sunday mornings and tear down. Like, Arthur can get 50 people to do, like, yard work. Like, he can just gather people to him, and that is not my skill set. And so I think about, like, man, this I don't want to do that. So I'm scared, like, I wanna hide from that. I want someone else to come do that. But that's not what, how God operates. God doesn't get the glory if I'm just great at it, everything naturally, if he just made me that way. God gets the glory when we lean on him and he empowers us to where people can say, wow, look what God did through them. Amen. That's exactly what he wants. God will give us the empowerment and the equipping, even if we don't have the signs, even if we're uncertain of his will sometimes. But when we are uncertain, I love that we can ask him. Psalm 13, or 143.10 says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on the level ground. I love that. We can ask our good father, because he knows what I need, and he wants to give it to us for his namesake, for his honor, for his glory. I, I want to take a minute to talk about this phrase, the spirit of God rushed upon Saul. We see that in the Old Testament, really, Um, a lot in Judges, but we see it in the story of Saul multiple times, where the Spirit of God rushed on somebody, and what happened is uh, it was temporarily to accomplish God's will, to temporarily empower them to do what God wanted to do. And the reason I use the word temporarily is because we'll see in a few chapters that that is removed from Saul. That empowering of God is removed from him when he rebels, but I don't want to jump ahead of that Um, But it's different, like this phrase is different than what we read in the New Testament. It's different than regeneration, it's different than salvation. And the reason we know that is in Scripture, it is clear that when you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is your seal of salvation. He is your seal as your guarantee, and that cannot be undone. If you are in Christ and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. We sang it this morning, like, no one can take me out of the palm of God's hand now. Second Corinthians 1 21 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God does give us those extra stamp of approval. Just in case you didn't know you were my child, here's the seal of the Holy Spirit, this gift that will live and take up residence in you. Ephesians 1 says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What an amazing thought that I can't undo what God has done for me because of the Holy Spirit and his seal. The Holy Spirit also empowers us. That is our main thing. When I say God God will equip us to do his will. It is through the power of his Holy Spirit that this will happen. Romans 8 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Through the empowerment of God, we see that Saul is victorious in spite of weakness, in spite of shortcomings, because of God and for God and for his glory. God loves to work through weakness. Because it shows his power and glory and the ripple effect of that is bigger than we can ever imagine. When God sees that he is doing something in us and through us and other people see it because of the faith that we have, um, we, sorry, that's throwing me off, Um, but God can do it in spite of our weakness and in spite of our shortcomings. And I want to read the end of 1 Samuel 11 and see what Saul does after this. Then the people said to Samuel, What is it that said, or who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So here we see what Saul does after this, but the important thing we can learn here is that God gives fresh starts. That God gives grace, that God gives mercy. According to his great mercy, he is rich in mercy and wants to give grace and give fresh starts. As we've said, Saul doubted, he lied, he hid, but ultimately he succeeded through his obedience and mostly because of his trust in the power of God in his life. And what did he do? The best thing he could do, he gave God the glory. He gave God the glory. Dustin has been our, my lead pastor for the last six years, and if you've been around him or um, you know, told him great sermon, you hear this phrase, praise God, and you're just like, man, that's annoying sometimes. Just say thanks, man. <laughs> like, just say thank you. But he says, praise God. And it has infected the culture of our staff and the, inf- and the culture of our church. And it's important because we need to praise God. When God does something big or small or God shows up, if God meets a need in your life and you praise God, it gives him glory and it radiates through the people, and it is important, and it reminds you, I am weak, but he is strong. Did I do this, or did God do it through me? Praise God, he did it. And that's the amazing thing. God gives grace, and God gives fresh starts. And what we see here is that the kingdom was renewed, and that's how we know there's a fresh start. Even though Saul was anointed in private, even though we see that Saul, um, people doubted that he was going to be king, we see here that the kingdom is renewed. God gives fresh starts through people. God gives fresh starts. So God knew Saul's frame. God knew that he needed countless assurances, and God knows that for us. God knows exactly what we need throughout this, and God is a good father. So today I want to invite John and the musicians to come back up because we're going to sing in just a minute. But today, God is offering a fresh start in grace in whatever role or responsibility that you have on your life. Because a lot of times, as, as we'll see in this grace, I get things wrong and you get things wrong and we struggle with sin and we mess up in our roles and our responsibilities. And these fresh starts, it does not mean that there are no consequences for sin. It does not mean that everything just gets wiped clean because sin like there are consequences for sin. There are things, but God gives grace and God gives fresh starts and God is a God of forgiveness, which means that God is a God of restoration. And God models restoration for us so that we can, you know, be people of restoration in our relationships, so that I can forgive and know that I must forgive and I must seek forgiveness because my God is a God of restoration and a God of fresh starts. So today, what... You might need to confess some of those things, things that you have fallen short of. You might need to ask for mercy and restoration from somebody. And I want you to know that the altar is open for that. But I love that 1 Peter 1, 18 says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Earlier in that passage it says, you should be holy because I am holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. The only way that scripture says that, the only way that Jesus can ask us to be holy because he is holy is because he bought the ability. He bought it with his blood. This has become just new to me because the word is living and active. But not only is Jesus' blood powerful enough to cover your sins and to forgive you and to make you righteous before God, but Jesus' blood ransomed us from our old sin and ransomed us to be able to be more holy. Like, what an amazing thing. We can be holy because of the blood of Jesus. That's how powerful it is. Like, every time we think that, uh, like, oh, Jesus' blood is only so powerful for me, it's imperishable. It can't run out. It doesn't weaken. It is all-powerful to make us new by the washing of his blood, but also allows us Sanctification to be holy because our God is holy through the blood of Christ. So today you might need to hear that because I need to hear it every day. And you might need to lean on that and come pray and seek the Lord. And you can ask him, hey, I don't know what the will of God is in my life, but he wants to tell you. Most importantly, he wants you just to come to him. It talked, we talked about that verse that said, the inheritance that will be ours. And that's what heaven is, in case you were wondering. Heaven is being in the presence of God and worshiping all the days of your life and you will be more satisfied than you can ever imagine. You will want nothing else. And that's what God wants for us on this earth is to sit and wait for the Lord until our soul is satisfied and to allow him to equip us and use us. That's what he wants. So today the altar will be open to you but know that the blood of Jesus can cover all of it. And some of you today If you need to call on Jesus as Lord, I'll be down here. But it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died and that he was raised from the dead by God, you will be saved to the honor and glory of the Lord. So today, Jesus is waiting. God is not limited by your weaknesses. God empowers us to do what he asks us to do according to his will, but God is a God of grace. He's a good father who gives fresh starts. So I wanna invite you to stand, and we're gonna sing in a minute, and the altar is open. But I'm gonna pray for us real quick. Lord, we need you so much, so today I pray that you'd soften our hearts, that you would help us to know how much we need you. And Lord, for people in here who are being called to something hard, I pray that you would empower them and use them, Lord. And we trust you, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.